0: Welcome to Campaign's latest newscast podcast. We're down here in Brighton for Media 360 Conference. Um, The sun has been shining. We've had some fantastic debates. um, And I'm here to chew over some of the stuff we've heard in uh, in the conference today with Matt Bush, the Country Sales Director of Google, Dan Clays, the CEO of OMD UK, and my campaign colleague, Gideon Spanier, and I'm Claire Beale. Sue Frogley kicked us off with uh, three some key themes underneath our banner of reimagining advertising PLC. So she talked about trust, truth and transparency. So I want to ask you all whether you think those are are salient themes for us to be talking about here at uh, at Media 360.
1: Dan? Yeah, I think they are important themes. Um, I imagine if you look back to Media 360 last year, transparency would have been a really big theme. I sense that there's a lot of confidence across the industry that it's been taken very seriously by agencies across the marketplace to the extent where clients can feel much more confident that the agencies are moving forward with great strides on transparency. Trust um, is an important theme. There's no two ways about it. And I think with transparency, you've got to be talking also about accountability. So the move forward to... Um, how we as businesses can be trusted drivers of the value we create for our clients is certainly something which I'm, I'm sensing in our business with clients and future clients is becoming increasingly important. The need to be able to work in partnership, be a trusted advisor, have remuneration models that are built far more around outcomes and the value we create is key. And at the heart of that is trust and and also for agencies to feel confident that we can trust the media partners and the media owners and the publishers that we're working with and technology suppliers and the sources of data as we go into a post-GDPR world, trust is absolutely fundamental. So I do think it's it's good news that of that list of three, you have transparency as sort of the third of the options. It remains you know, critically important. But elevating trust is, is, is sensible.
0: It was interesting that Sue brought up this idea of um, more and more of the contracts that, that they're being presented with by clients actually are baking in this idea of, of transparency up front but, but in return there seems to be a trend that clients are prepared to pay perhaps more fairly for the service they're, they're receiving. Is that is that a fair reflection of the way the market's going?
1: From my own experience what I can say is we've, we've encountered really good uh, open dialogue about how you build a partnership of the future, which is entirely transparent. It's built on partnership foundations. That was certainly the case, for example, in our, in our Barclays pitch, which um, I know has been talked about in, in a number of recent conferences, including the ISBA conference where um, Tom Corbett was um, on stage talking about that. Um, So setting out some clear partnership tenants that um, really mean that the the contract becomes a working document. You know, it's not something that goes into the back of a drawer that no one ever really looks at. It's got some fundamental parameters that set up commercial terms that enable it to be a really healthy uh, partnership between the agency and the client. So um, yeah, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing that in pitches where it's something that gets discussed early, uh, which sets out some key criteria that... The the participating agencies need to feel confident and comfortable they can sign up to. Um, for us within Omnicom, it's it's fantastic news. That's exactly how we want to operate.
0: Does so that does
1: that shine with you, Matt? I, that- so I, I'd almost like to flip round the
2: order. Um, so you know, what have we got, or where did we end? How did we end up here? And I think you know, it started off with uh, a lack of transparency. Uh, and you know, we and I'm not saying that was universal. Uh, far from it. But you know, clients. Um, certainly felt that they weren't um, having as much transparency from some of their agency partners uh, as, they, as, they would, as they would like. Um, and that kind of led to this sort of, I would argue, this led to this notion of like, you know, what is the single source of truth? Like, when, where can you actually find out what I'm actually paying for and what that's actually delivering for me? And I think so, you know, to, to Dan's point, I think a huge amount of work has been done on the industry on both of those first two points. But there's still this overhang of a lack of trust, and you know, let's 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 be clear. That's that's societal. In that, you know, I think you know, if you look around the the the, the, uh, the world at the moment, you know, there is just a lack of trust in a lack of trust in news. There's a lack of trust in institutions. Even I was reading um, uh, yesterday, there's a lack of trust in charities. So trust in charities has dropped dramatically. So you know, perhaps we shouldn't be too surprised that you know this kind of trusting has become a, a bit of an issue. But, you know I can definitely see a, a way out of it and and that you know that that goes back to the starting point of transparency and you know Dan used the word accountability and I think you know it's just some of them we need to do a much better job of of sharing uh, all of the data all of the information all of the knowledge that we have with the people uh, with it whether it was with a client or whether for, for, for my role whether it's with an agency so they can have a full understanding of exactly what they've bought and why they've bought it and then can make decisions based on that. One, one thing that we have, we've, we've had uh, a lot of clients coming directly to us and saying, Look, you know, can we work on something a bit more outcome-based um, to, to pick on up on, uh, on, on Dan's point, um, which I think is, is quite an interesting nuance. Uh, and I think, you know, part of it comes from uh, the, the kind of continued push down on budgets Part of it, I think, comes from the, 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 the continued expansion of available media. Yeah. And so there's kind of this, this, this uh, certainly a perception within the client community, not necessarily unfounded, by the way, uh, that you know, there is now ability to actually start to work towards more outcome-based uh, methods, which interestingly for me almost takes you back to the beginning where arguably you would have to do more black box type stuff up front in order to deliver that outcome-based stuff, not but but I think the thing we've all learned as an industry is that even if you do that, what you have to do as as as, as a result of delivering part of your uh, um, uh, your your measurement and metrics at the end of the campaign is be incredibly clear and transparent about exactly where everything was bought and where the money
0: went. Yeah, it's interesting, Gideon. You started off, Gideon. I I should tell our listeners was, is doing a lot of helming of this whole event, so you're on stage quite a lot today, Gideon, rather than sitting in the audience um, just listening. But um, you did start off by talking about the idea of us being in this post-Soul era. I don't think we've had one of these newscasts yet where Martin Sowell has not come up. Um, But uh, given this this debate about um, trust and truth and transparency, are we in a place now, do you think, Gideon, where a lot of these issues, we're, we're actually more comfortable talking about them because we are. It feels like so much change is happening. It's a good time to just get it all out in the open and and start to try and clear the decks a bit.
3: I think so. The theme of this uh, two-day event is reimagining advertising PLC, and without uh, exaggerating too much, I think there's quite a lot of optimism around. Mm. Uh, so to answer your question directly, I. No one thinks that problems about tr- trust or transparency have um, sort of sunk that far down the agenda. But we heard from Barnaby Dor, the global CMO of Justeed, and he told a really positive story about uh, building an e-commerce brand that has uh, doubled in value, I think quadrupled revenues. Um, anyway, it's in the FTSE 100 this year. Uh, so this is a successful British e-commerce brand. Um, we also heard from the new ITV CEO, Carolyn McCall, who spoke to you. And again, she definitely conveyed a sense that there's a lot of opportunities. She used the word urgency, which I thought was really interesting. Mm. Um, she's obviously come in as a new CEO, and she's not there to just do the same as before. Mm. Uh, but that, I think, was more interesting, this sense of change. And yes, Martin Sorrell stepping down is a very symbolic moment, and people recognize that. Uh, After that, we heard from Anatoly Reutman, who runs Accenture Interactive, and that was also interesting because Accenture have obviously been very aggressive and acquisitive, and uh, the message I was getting, uh, and obviously we've tried to curate the event this way, is that uh, there's a lot of opportunity and change uh, out there which you can take advantage of. You definitely need to behave right. If you have not got your trust and transparency right, you're going to get uh, bitten. Uh, So to that extent, uh, I hate to say that trust and transparency are sort of hygiene factors now. Mm. They're not. They're massive ongoing problems. But uh, there's quite a lot of optimism. Just, I, I, I can very agree with you, which
2: picking up on that word of opportunity, and I think you know that you know there's been a huge amount of change in the industry, and you know there is more. There's more opportunities to do more things, uh, and engage with people, uh, with consumers more often um, than ever we have done before. But I think you know perhaps because we've had all of that, we've just done it rather than thinking is this the right thing to do? Uh, and I think you know what we're seeing now is just a bit of a rebalance. Uh, Where you know there's there's just a lot more scrutiny on exactly what the uh, the marketing methods are are being uh, the marketing methods that are being used either by agencies or by clients direct uh, within within the business are just being scrutinised more to see okay is this actually what we want to be doing in that you know okay we might be driving a lower CPA but does it actually affect? Our brand long term as, as, as an example in point, and you know one of the sessions session after that actually, Gideon was, was talking about long term v short term, and I think you know there has been a, a push from too many quarters just to drive uh, the lowest possible CPA over a set period that's not brilliant for many brands not saying there's not a time and a place for it because there absolutely is but I think you know uh, it it shouldn't be the kind
1: of the guiding force behind the way that you run your business yeah exactly we saw two we heard two brilliant examples didn't we of that today I thought Barnaby's presentation and the Just Eat story um, well there was generally it was a really you know if you're in TV it was a pretty confident start to the day across you know that session and Carolyn's session but where Barnaby talked really um, uh, clearly about confidence in uh, investing in long-term brand growth, being mindful of, I think he called it short-term promiscuity of you know trying to steer from that. but at the same time, as his strategy has matured and evolved, he has combined um, this brand building activity with, with personalization at the right time to the right people in the right way. Yeah. And then uh, the second case was was Emily at McDonald's, mm. who again talked brilliantly about again the, this getting this really neat balance between you know brand and well what we were talking about we short term and long term and actually how short term still contributes to brand activity anyway, yeah. but getting the balance right. So two really great cases actually today on. that. And, and picking up on part on and obviously,
2: you know, as the uh, as, as, as the Google guy, you know, he, he as he as he broke down the way that they think about their marketing, you know, as he was talking about performance, uh, and he was talking about Google in particular. Uh, the, the, the phrase that he used that really stuck stuck with me was, "This is the nucleus of what we do," and you know, far too many brands uh, and agencies, if I'm if I'm completely honest, I'm not seeing that kind of that 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 data set. Uh, that that insight generator, um, that kind of always-on performance metric as the nucleus of what they do. And then everything else, I I think, you know, you followed up by saying and everything else builds out from that. Mm. And why wouldn't it? You know, once you've actually started to get people going up and down the funnel consistently, you're going to get more data from that nucleus than anywhere else. And that can guide not just what you do in your next Google um, campaign or your next Facebook campaign or whatever it might be, but it can guide your entire customer strategy.
0: Okay. I want to rewind a bit, though. I want to go back to Carolyn McCall. Um, Gideon, from her conversation with me, because it's quite hard to concentrate on what, what somebody's saying when you're interviewing them, because you're constantly thinking of all sorts of other things about the dynamic of the conversation. What did she say that you picked up that gives us a hint of what she might do at ITV?
3: Well... She talked about how ITV Hub, their online video platform, is too she sort to of said transactional and functional. Essentially, you go to it, click on something, watch something, and then maybe watch something else or go away. And she quite understandably sees that Netflix, Amazon, YouTube, all these online platforms have absolutely stolen march on all broadcasters. And ITV, which gets over forty percent of TV advertising has can has, I mean they've been behind for ten years because basically every linear broadcaster has, and I think that's where she was saying urgency. I mean Netflix only launched in the UK about five years ago, and it's a it's a massive challenge. So that's one area she wants to really um, sort out online, and um, in terms of what she talked about having been at EasyJet, putting the customer at the center of everything, I think putting the viewer at the center of everything, and to Matt's point, using data. She actually said, not today, but previously, that she was amazed to find that I think there's 100 million data sets around ITV uh, in terms of the number of interactions they get. I don't know over over what period, but there's a lot of data. You can understand what um, your viewers want and treating them like customers. You can build a relationship with them and so on, and then that is taking a kind of Just Eat or easy jet mentality. The other thing she said was that subscription VOD um, is definitely an area that's again the Netflix thing. She said, it's obvious that consumers are willing to pay. Now, ICB has got to protect itself from the fact that the ad market is definitely under various forms of pressure because of from new entrants and new behaviours. And obviously, one of the things that's important that Media360 is we have a lot of brands here, a lot of CMOs from many of the leading companies in the audience, and they're taking all this in and listening to these messages. And uh, it's important for us to uh, gauge as journalists and, I think, the reason why agencies, media owners come here is they want to know what the brands are thinking because virtually every brand is coping with some form of disruption. I don't feel we've, uh, actually, the issue of disruption has been such a big deal for Carolyn McCall. She's just like, we need to change. Let's get on with it. So uh, I think subscription is is culturally a big shift. We're not going to see ITV suddenly stop doing free-to-air, but she's clearly thinking, This is we're not making enough money out of this fast-growing, valuable sector of pay 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 television.
2: Subscription's a challenge, all right. I mean, like you know, how much money have consumers got? You know, we can't we can't keep asking. There's lots of very good services out there at the moment, Um, and I'm not saying that you know Carolyn can't put it off. I work with her at the Guardian, and she's absolutely fabulous. Um, uh, And you know, we've got YouTube Red in the states, as I'm sure you guys know. Um, but, you know, there, there, is a, there is a limit to what, what, what people will pay for. Uh, and I think, you know, first mover, likes of Netflix and Spotify and others, you know, have done a fabulous job of pr- pr- providing a completely unique service and calling a lot of the market. Some will come over, over those, both of those, I'm sure, at some point. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's not going to come without its pain. And I guess the question is, you know, who's got the deep pockets to invest at a loss for a significant period of time? before you get to that point where you can start to make money. Because we know that Netflix lost you know, loads and loads and loads before they actually started to make any money at all. In fact, I don't even know if they are making money. I, maybe you know more than me, Gideon. I'm not, not entirely
3: sure. I, I don't think they're making a great deal of money. <laughs> in there. Um, but, I mean, that's a fascinating thing about some of the new economy companies. Just Eat is, I don't think, an example of this. But so many of them, and Amazon would be the classic, is are just reinvesting everything in next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not worried about making a profit. They just want market domination. And some of these new factors, I think, are fascinating for a lot of the brands who are coping with new ways of doing business. If your rival is not looking to make a profit and you're trying to deliver a profit a dividend to shareholders, um, it's, impossible. it's, it's hard. <laughs> Very hard. It's
1: hard. It's hard.
0: Dan, you took a big breath there. Did you want to come in?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I wasn't sure if we were then moving on to a different direction. We can do, Um, but if you have something you want to say. My chip in was I think Gillian's right to pick up on Carolyn's experience in the space of the relationship with the audience. I think you're you're right there. And whether that, she also referred to um, the Hub Plus model as an experiment as well. So I'm thinking that. There's also going to be strategic solutions beyond just a paid-for model in the VOD space. So whether that is a bit more algorithmic about being able to better understand what type of programming I watch and therefore hear other shows, et cetera, beyond just the current level of sophistication on catch-up telly um, could be quite interesting. Um, but I think you're right that the relationship with the viewer and how there are different ways into selecting what program you're going to be watching in the future. It's not just through a EPG or whatever. It's going to be through Search. search. And please know Matt in terms of what people are selecting. And also she talked about the power of the, 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 the program brand and how they can more effectively monetize that. She Love Island, obviously, as is the kind of you know, the showcase example. Oh, that was a really the,
0: interesting story. She talked about the yeah, merchandising.
1: You know, yeah, the merchandising, the, the diversity of brands, like Primark to a bunch of makeup brands that I'm not familiar with, but um, are getting involved in yeah. the show. Obviously, there's not that many Love Islands that go around, right? So that's the balance. Yeah, but, that was, but, uh, but I thought that was what quite interesting. To,
2: to be controversial, like, you know, what's the next Love Island? And, like, you know, it has been a, it's been a, it's been a juggernaut for, what, three years now. Um, but we've heard about it a lot now and like, you know is is there another one on the horizon
0: she did also talk about creativity in relation to yes. ITV as well and she said that ITV is a very creative company um, and that uh, that isn't necessarily how it's perceived outside mm-hmm. of the, the business yeah. so maybe she has uh, her sights set on um, she's already up the program program budget a little bit i think mm. Um, but maybe we'll see some more um, program innovation from them. I just wanted to now move on to Gideon's conversation with Anatoly Voitman from um, from Accenture Digital, where Anatoly came up with this uh, this idea that the world, our world, our industry world, will will be divided between agencies, consultancy slash agencies, uh, and then creative boutiques. And he said basically said. I think I' interpreted it correctly more and more clients will continue taking media in-house um, and the, the magic will be left to to the sort of the meeting of technology and creativity um, so I'm not sure where, where did you think he he would see a business like yours then <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, well, I wouldn't argue with him um, as in just generally uh, I'd argue with some of the points he made um, uh, but uh, I I mean oh, where did I take come out from that session? I was, um, I was trying to work out with um, with their business whether it's just remains a a collection of different agencies that still continue to operate on their own, but they sort of just have a you know they ladder up into Accenture um, as the mother brand, and you know Accenture has good access, obviously, to big companies, and they could be a great referral business to say, oh, you should speak to this, this one of our agencies. I was trying to work out from that session how it still genuinely knits together and also he talks a lot about um, the importance of almost like this end-to-end customer experience and in a way that agencies like ourselves or other agencies aren't talking which we actually are so you know we often talk about the need to understand the customer journey and to knit communications together that is part of a all the all round customer experience, so I don't feel like that language is exclusive to, to those guys. Um, and I was also a bit unclear on the intentions around buying. So, I you know, I um, I was intrigued by the session because it's the first time I've been able to, to hear from those guys, and you know, clearly a smart, smart man, and it'd be a very interesting space. But, um, as a media owner, I'd be interested to get, or a platform or a technology business, I'd be interested to get Matt's perspective um on it uh, because again I you know later sessions that we had during the course of the day talked about the need for integration and the coming together of multidisciplinary specialist services to deliver um, uh, connected solutions if you want for clients um, and then that model felt like lots of different types of companies operating separately so I wasn't sure on that, to be honest with you.
2: Um, it, so so I, 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 I kind of agree. You, Despite not making that many points, I think I still agree with you, Dan. Uh, I, I, so we've worked with Accenture for a while. Um, and, uh, in what? So uh, good question, actually, in, in, in multiple different layers at the moment. Um, and I think... Uh, it, the the bit that I'm focused on, so you know, there's a whole bunch of different relationships with Google around the world with Accenture, um, as you can imagine. You know, they're a major global business, and we tend to have partnerships with, with most many global businesses. The bit that we're focused on at the moment is the uh, uh, is the AIO bit, the intelligent operations bit, um, which uh, is is really kind of trying to drive this marketing kind of service, uh, and. I think, you know, I I kind of touched on this in a a later conversation. I I think, you know, they they kind of filled a void, really, where too too many clients that we speak to don't really know what they need to know yet. And what Accenture have traditionally done, having, like, explored their business a bit, is, you know, they've got a very matrix structure. So they've got verticals that sit, you know, across the whole of the business based on industry sectors, and they've got a whole bunch of horizontal um, businesses sit across those. And the, the vertical businesses uh, are you know, the guys who interface with the clients, uh, and they, they're quite happy to you know, spend years and years, and Anatoly mentioned this as well actually, um, years and years uh, building out those relationships uh, before they start to actually like, you know, generate significant amounts of revenue. And so, like you know, if you're if you're in a position where you've got that vertical that's building out those relationships, and then you come along and say, look, we've now got this customer experience stuff that you can buy, as well as like you know, maybe some like transformational systems integration work that maybe we've done in the past, that becomes quite a compelling um, proposition. That said, that said, I do not see Accenture or any of the consultancies uh, uh, killing the agency sector as we currently know it. I do think what they're doing is accelerating this this consolidation. Uh, and this kind of reinvention of agency, which is which is you know sort of one of the things that we've had uh, uh, over the course of a day, but you know agencies are on that path already. When you get a competitor and you get a big scary T Rex coming at you, then you tend to run a little bit faster.
1: But I think there's a the, the, you know there could be a real gross underestimation of some of what's going on in agencies today. You've got real technology, data analytics, depth of capability sitting within my business. You've got people that. You could argue operators uh, like consultants that truly understand the makeup of a client's business, um, running client agency, you know, running my uh, client teams in my agency. And then there's the other dimension that's not been discussed, which is that the culture of creativity and knowing how to, to create work that's going to add to culture. So the danger is we're missing a point here, which is to say the way that the agencies are evolving is. With the capabilities that um, that have been talked about in that session today, they're they're, they're going very well. Thanks very much.
2: I, I completely agree. And so, it's, I mean, why, why why is it that the industry, and I don't, you know, working with agencies all the time, I can see that there's some fantastic talent in in every agency that we work with. Um, why is it that the industry overall is kind of you know talking about the fact that this uh, that the agency is the is the model that. Or the business that needs to change more dramatically, and actually, you know, Accenture and Deloitte to a lesser extent are kind of coming in and being seen as the savior of many clients' businesses. What, what, what do agencies need to do more of? If you're saying that, you know, in your business or maybe other like businesses, there's there's a uh, a, a kind of a,
3: a a nucleus, a foundation of some fantastic talent. Can I say one thing? Yeah, Jesus, sure. that uh, Having spoken to Anatoly on the stage, perhaps one thing that people should understand. He was very, very bullish. Uh, they began by showing a video uh, where they said they were the number one digital agency and so on. And they have recently come out and said they've got 25,000 people in Accenture Interactive. And they that's a significant number of and people. How
0: many acquisitions did he say?
3: They've made 22, I think. of the last of, 12 months?
0: Uh, I think
3: longer than 12 months, but uh, some of them are quite well-known, like uh, Kamarama. They bought Sinner Schrader in Germany. They've bought... Uh, a lot of agencies in creative design, analytics, content creation. How, so how would that compare to a typical year in Omnicom? Yeah. WPP? Uh, Omnicom will have made under 10 in the last year. I mean, the, the WPP has cut back. Um, all the holding companies have cut back. So what's significant, I think, is is that, that uh, Accenture have been very bullish and... People pay attention to that bullishness when it's clear that Accenture's share price has gone up, and they have got a few big brands like Maserati, Radisson Hotels signing up to it and saying that, yes, we're using them for this idea of customer experience. And his general body language and manner on stage was pretty um, positive, and I said, and he's, he's very dry, he comes from Belarus and uh, he uh, has been in the UK for the last eight years and then I said well what's the future of agencies and it's, it's us. Yeah. Not everyone is, is bullish enough to say that and I think that a lot of the brands in the room were listening because one of the things he said which fits in in a way with what both Dan and Matt are saying is he thinks maybe a lot of clients aren't set up for this idea of managing the customer experience and this sort of joined up view. Uh, And I was asking him, well, who's the client? Bearing in mind we're in a room with lots of CMOs today, um, but also the CTO and so on. It's, Accenture are interesting, I think, and disruptive because they're saying there's a new way of doing things and we can help you do it. No one, no brand in this room uh, uh, over the, the whole day is saying, oh, our business is the same as it was five years ago and, it's, and we're pretty confident in the next five years. That To come back to Carolyn McCall, you know, the sense of urgency that everyone needs to change and innovate and Accenture saying, whether you believe it is another matter. Yes, you need to change. We've got a bit of a roadmap for you. And uh, the truth is, is that the agencies, and this came up when Sarah Golding, who's the president of the IPA, spoke a little bit later on, um, she said, you know, the too many of the agency holding companies are too siloed with separate P&Ls. And in a more agile, fast-moving, flexible world, there's definitely the case that Accenture can say, well, we've built differently for this. Yeah, I'm not boosting them. I'm saying mm-hmm. <laughs> take it with a pinch of salt. But definitely, I think there are a lot of people in the room listening because everyone wants to hear what the challenger's got to say, especially when they've got Money yes, exactly.
0: That's the thing. They've got very deep pockets. So to 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 answer your challenge, Dan, they can buy. They can buy what they don't have. And the, it's, the, it's a good question to ask whether it's proven that they can buy and integrate and create a, a sort of uh, a culture that works across all the different bits of their business. But there's no doubt from, from that session this morning of their ambition. And the real that, that Gideon mentioned that they showed was it was a creative reel, wasn't it? It was absolutely. A, it was the sort of reel that you'd expect to see from a.
3: I think they were a, taking a quite person. a lot of work that camera has done and saying, uh, "This is a future yeah. interactive." And all but if pre- they're
0: taking that into no. into clients, you know, that was it was a persuasive, very persuasive video. Uh,
3: so uh, that's exciting, I think, for the audience because actually uh, we, we we know we've been talking about this. Changes it. Forces everyone to up their game. I don't think any of the agency leaders in the room were turning off for Accenture. They might have said, um, frankly, a bit like as Dan is saying, well, you know, we can cover a lot of this ground. The truth is, and it's been well documented, that the market cap of all holding companies, WPP, Omnicom, all big six, is the same as Accenture. So that's how big Accenture is. And with all their relationship with Google, Matt's talked about. Um, uh personally, as a journalist, I love it because it means there's lots to write about and it was nice to get that in the room. And, uh, you know, I think that there, it's when we had this later discussion about reinventing the agency model, there's the proof. And I thought there was a really interesting thing that Chris McLeod, the marketing director from TFL said, and he said, you know, the danger is holding companies exist for themselves instead of for the clients.
0: Yeah, he and, was provocative, wasn't he? He challenged everybody. What, why do you exist? Um, what what do you deliver? That
3: yeah, I mean, there's no question agencies. that agencies fulfill really important functions, but you've got to reorganize um, just as you could argue the campaign editorial team must reorganize for these digital times. I mean, yeah. there's, there's no... Uh, it's not... I think that uh, Sarah Golding again made this interesting point. You know, the agencies are uh, suffering a bit from beating themselves up as well as being beaten up by others. And there are other areas of the creative industries. I think she... Did she say something like, oh, "You don't get architects beating each other up, saying, oh, you're, you 'Oh, know, you're you're rubbish.' You probably
0: do, but actually, you you made a good point, Matt, that when when agencies pitch for business, almost before they've started, they're worrying about when they're going to have to pitch for it again. Sure. You're not treated as a as a, a long term partner often, and you you came up with a good analogy of. Well,
2: it, it, was, it, was, it was it was, unlike you know, Chris is a, clearly a good guy and he knows his business incredibly well, but you know, he was he was trying to make the point that. Um, uh, you know, architects have to pitch for because I was I was talking about the pitch process and like you know, do we need to change the pitch process because that sounds like it's it's a bit broken and puts too much pressure on agencies and you know makes them sort of advocate against each other far too often. And he said, well, architects have to. Um, and I said, yeah, but if architects do, they get they win the brief, uh, they build the building, and they get paid. Uh, whereas what in, in the agency world, what in effect you're doing is you're, uh, you're you're kind of building the foundations, and then you're being off the pitch again, and you lose the business. Yeah. And I think you know that's that's a real problem uh, with this, and it goes back to the short term, long term thing that's been, as Gideon was saying earlier, a consistent theme across the day. You know, this constant kind of leaping from one thing to the next to try and find the answer, without, and again, I've said this already, without always knowing what the question is. I think is the biggest problem, uh, and like you know at the moment it, it, some brands are going to Accenture to find that, that answer, some brands are going to uh, some of the sort of the smaller independent specialist agencies, but a whole bunch are still finding those answers within the, the kind of the existing and mm-hmm. existing agency model. I mean
1: in that session, my observation was and matt you did, you, you did very well on that panel um, <laughs> I'm just caveating myself before my next comment. Um, but it took a long time for me to get to the fundamental point, which is the client. And, yeah. uh, and, um, and Goldie got there um, first, I think, um, which is uh, just to fundamentally, in the agency, make sure that we're not obsessing about ourselves for ourselves, and make sure you are organising yourselves to the customers that you're trying to attract and keep. So it's not a surprise that in our business, for example, we are reorganizing or have just reorganized to build far more integrated teams uh, in our agency. And I think providing that, Maybe Colin had said to me once, you know, look, or Philippa, uh, but you know, These are your bosses, my bosses, yeah, I'm just, okay. yeah, and they obviously said brilliant comments. Um, uh, no, but seriously, you know, if you providing your work, you're staying relevant for your clients in your model, then everything will be just fine, and that's the key, the key carding principle. The danger is you get a panel of people, on, from agencies, just you know, just talking about our own businesses sort of introspectively and not just thinking about how we're evolving our business to be agile enough to service the needs of our clients
2: Completely agree and like you know one of the, one of the points that, that, that I was trying to make on that panel was you, you know the thing that we see with, with clients is that they just want access to that specialist resource more often than not now uh, and so, you know, the kind of the, the, the goal for agencies is how do we get that to the, that specialist resource, which we talked about in the panel as well, it exists within all agencies. How do we get more of it? It's the first thing, which is going to be a challenge for everyone because there's a talent shortage in the, in the industry at the moment. But then, once we've got it, uh, or what we've got so far, how do we make sure that it's in front of clients more often? Because they're the guys that are actually solving the problems. And like, you know, you still need a relationship. You still need an account person uh, to make sure the account is running. But you know that account person's job is to so, say, "Right, okay, I know the person in my business who can fix your challenge," and then they bring that person to the front very, very quickly. I think at the moment that that bit can sometimes take a little bit longer, regardless of business, whether it's Accenture, whether it's you know any other business, it can sometimes take a little bit long. And I think that's where the client frustration starts to come from. But where do I
1: find the answer? Well, the client doesn't want to have ten conversations with ten different people. So it's a balance. It's a balance. You need to have specialists within your business that are also able to go and talk to clients. But you also need to have people that run the client business that have committed to understanding all of the new areas of services and ways to customers, etc., etc., that we provide. So it's the commitment to be able to provide a sort of a new breed of generalist that understands. The, the kind of the intricacies of all these different areas, but at the same time, people that go a lot deeper within their specialism, I and mean, it's that balance that you have to provide.
0: So there's there's one session we haven't spoken about, which I think was quite possibly the most important session of the day, and I almost don't want to talk about it now because it is far too important to be just five minutes in the in the course of this um, this chat. So I'm going to leave it to do a whole proper session on it um, another time but it was a session on diversity um, and it was a very important and proper and welcome challenge to us that our, the most diverse panel we probably had today, I'm pretty sure we had today, was the one on diversity which is a bit crap um, because of course it should have been, every panel should have felt like it and we should have shouldn't really have needed to have a panel on diversity. Nevertheless, there was a really important discussion around diversity, which I don't want to um, either ignore or tokenistically address now. So uh, if anybody has made it to the end of this podcast, <laughs> um, <laughs> we, will, we will tackle the massive and important issue of diversity properly um, with, a, with a dedicated podcast uh, where That's we true. can really explore it Um, seriously so thank you so much for your time now now you're free to to go and have a drink (laughs) thank you, Thank you